0: Today's version of El Politico is recorded at midday on Wednesday the 18th of January. Terms and conditions may have changed uh, by the time the show is broadcast, but hopefully not too much. And uh, it is the new year, and I'm going to welcome back the host with the mostest, uh, Thomas. Welcome back, take it away.
1: Yeah, January... Uh, A new year and uh, a happy and a safe one to all our listeners. Hi, Paul. Hi, Luke. It's great to be back in our original studio, back where the patterns of the walls were were kind of psychedelic in in its best and we've lovely uh, red carpet, which makes it more soundproof. So hopefully we sound pristine today on our return to the studio.
0: All going well and uh, I have to hold my hand up in shame and apologise profusely, especially to Paul, because uh, on our last... Political, which was actually a while ago now, um, uh, I made a boo-boo and double l s up uh, in relation to the recording, and we only got one of our two shows out. Today, Tom, we are going to talk about Irish politics. Paul is going to give us a sort of a rundown on changing government that really isn't a changing government, but sort of might be. And then we're going to talk about a few issues related to that. And then we're going to talk about the topic that is going to dominate politics local and nationally in this country. I think it has done for years. I think it's still going to do it for years. And that's the question of health. And we have a few different angles. And Paul, in particular, has an angle or two that he wants to talk about in relation to that. So we'll have a little bit of going back to the future that you'll enjoy Tom and then we'll have something more up, up to date so that's about it Paul isn't it
2: yeah I'd say that's it kind of in, in, a, in a compressed format but in the words look no, never don't worry about the other show it's out there in the ether somewhere who knows at some stage but in the words of the political system it's time to move on oh, Okay, oh, okay. <laughs> we've right. looked at that now and it's uh, time to move on
0: okay so t- tell us about moving on because basically we, we've gone through a scenario now where Michal Martin has has he technically been the shortest uh, Taoiseach in history that he's uh, there's Sky News breaking there in the background I'll turn, I'll turn that down <laughs> okay. to phone uh, it's only Rishi Sunak facing, facing Keir Starmer and Prime Minister oh, oh,
2: PMQs PMQs yeah. um, that's a question I actually don't know the answer to is Mihal Martin the shortest I'm just trying to go th- really quickly through my he's head very, here very now. Close I suspect to it, he possibly is yeah, I, I think um, there was
0: a line that I think he was uh, he was maybe uh, oh, within a month or two of John Bruton
2: I think John Bruton and possibly if you take we'll say one of the, the Gareth Fitzgerald's administration in the early 80s 80s oh. June 81 to February 82 yeah, or Charlie Ha yeah. February 82 to... Yeah, but I, I, cumulatively, probably either the shortest or the second yeah. shortest, yes.
0: I suppose Garrett was in more than once. He was
2: I in, suppose, yeah, so, so put it all together yeah, and then so, maybe so. so, so yeah, good point.
0: Right. Um, give us your thoughts and analysis of Bihal Martin. Now, in fairness mm. to him, he got served a bad deal. You know, if you think about it, the, the, the even being appointed... Uh, it was during COVID, so there wasn't the usual razzmatazz. Everybody was wearing masks. Yes, and then the big gig of the year, the trip out to the states, Washington. He got COVID March the 17th, and, couldn't, and, that's couldn't, right. and couldn't meet Biden. You know, so mm. so if you're saying that from a politician's point of view, two of the biggest, I suppose, you could say, two of the sort of happier times of actually. Um, being the gig that or come with the gig, you know, yeah, getting the gig and then meeting the president, you know, the president of allegedly the biggest superpower in the world yeah. and all that—that that sort of entails for a little country, you know, over on on, on the, the, way, the the west side of uh, Europe. Um, he, you know, that didn't work for him. But ha- tell tell me, how do you think he did yeah. during his time?
2: Well, think if you take the context on that, if you take those kind of um performative elements of it that you mentioned there, yes of course they were disappointments but if you take the, the larger performative element, at least he didn't become the first leader of Fianna Fáil not to become Taoiseach. Now that was a big issue for Fianna Fáil and I would suspect in his own mind having been the leader of Fianna Fáil since the kind of the dark days of 2011 when they had actually um, been booted out of government um, down to 20 odd seats at that point. You know there was a long journey back to go from 2011 to go from 20 seats, well we're not a whole It's very fractured now, Irish politics, but at least um, in the annals of history, he doesn't go down as the first leader of Fianna Fáil to not become Taoiseach. So there's, I think, the major positive with regards to his position um, in the pantheon of of, of Fianna Fáil leaders. Um, As a Taoiseach himself, I think he was quite a good Taoiseach. I think he was quite a good Taoiseach. I think he was temperamentally suited to the role. Um, and especially suited to the role in a very fractious type of government. You know, this is the first time you've kind of put this civil war um, definition of Irish politics to bed where Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael come together and become a government uh, aided then um, and supported by the Greens as well. So you've got a kind of a a tripartite rainbow type government um, in place. And I think he managed that quite well um, over his tenure as, as Taoiseach. So I think when you actually tot it all up add it up notwithstanding housing health as you mentioned infrastructure other issues um, not a bad period as Taoiseach and a safe and steady pair of hands um, guiding the ship I think that's how you would regard Mihal okay. Martin's tenure
0: Tom I'm going to bring you in here now and give me your thoughts on Mihal Martin
1: Um, I would say he's a part of a historic double act because what Paul said about Fine Gael and Fianna Fall come together, would they have come together if circumstances were different in relation to what the world faced with COVID? Um, I doubt it. Um, well, I, well, I they, think it was, they, as I said, it was unique. Joined. It was a uni- It took a long time. Yes, it took it weeks is, and weeks and weeks. A and point weeks on that. Uh, to, to, uh, mo- yeah, mm-hmm. to to get it together. But it's something that would have never really been. I know it was. It, it kind of be muted before elections. Oh, it you know depending on seats and stuff. But it was never ever really going to be a runner until
2: circumstances dictated it, it had to be. Yeah. But the circumstances are determined then totally. You, you just uh, as you were saying that the circumstances. There's a very simple metric. A very simple rule in politics. Circumstances of seat wins. Numbers, my Numbers, it's numbers and that's what it comes down to. At the, at the end of the... And even we now, we look at the possibility of how will you create a government in the next general election. It looks like Sinn Féin will be the strongest party and Fianna Fáil, and Fine Gael will be maybe treading water. That's what it looks like. Pretty much the same things. It will come down to numbers. Politics, the nature of politics is, is, is that it has to adapt. It has to adapt always. And you might have kind of really strong historical um, opinions... But, you know, when it comes down to it, when it becomes a case of numbers, that's when it becomes practical. And do,
1: let's say, the parties then reflect... The topics on the street, so to speak. What the person on the street needs, wants, feels is either being done or not
2: being done. Yeah, but reflects the party that they're interested in. Well this is the interesting thing about politics now, is there's a kind of a, there's a there's, there's a feeling there amongst people that the political system or the political parties perhaps don't do that. You know, they haven't, as you said at the start, haven't got to grips with housing, haven't got to grips with health. You know, there are other things coming down the line now migration, immigration, they're going to be big ticket political issues. And there isn't a sense, at least I don't get it, maybe I'm too, close, feel too engaged in it, um, there isn't a sense that they're kind of grasping these things or kind of really taking that and kind of sorting it out. I, you know, I, been, I, I, I think we're reaping what was
0: sown after the crash. Right? Mm. Because what, what we've had is 10... 11 years of Fine Gael at this stage now. Yeah. Yeah. And for the last few years with Fianna Fáil. and it's only Tom, you alluded to it there, you know, we say with COVID and I'm just thinking back, the election was in February 2020, mm. right? Literally a month before COVID. And Paul, I said, I remember well you, your, your proclamation up at the election count that we won't have a government for five or six months. Yeah. And we didn't have a government till June, you know. And, you, Tom, you talking about, you know, the civil war is over and all that type of stuff. Yeah, COVID probably helped it in a way to get them together because we all said at the time, the last thing Fine Gael want to be is back in power. But oh, yeah, as you absolutely. said, Paul, yeah. it's numbers.
2: The numbers, right? Yeah.
0: The numbers didn't work for anything else. Mm. Mm. And it was at a time where it'd be a little bit like, you know, it's easy to be wise after the fact. But if Sinn Féin had ran 60 candidates and effectively they could have pulled the last 20 of them Sort of off the street, given the, the way that some of the people that you know had no profile managed to get seats, and that's I, right, I'm not given out about that's that. right. fair play to them, that's how, how the people voted. But if they had actually ran more candidates, they would have got more seats, mm-hmm. like they had a strike rate, I think, of about 38 out of 42. Yes, it was that's right, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. If you sort of said to a political party, with 42 candidates, by the way, 38 of them are going to get elected, mm. you would be mm. sort of, you would be anointed <laughs> to, the, to mm. the highest position in the land. You know, yeah. you, you, if if you were in the banking system, you'd be the governor. <laughs> <Yeah>. No, it, <laughs> totally indicates
2: that, it totally indicates that they didn't run enough candidates. Now, they yeah. won't make that mistake No, they again. won't. They won't make that won't, mistake
0: But again. Whether, whether they can sort of, I, I think the political... Um, system and uh, the way the country has evolved, I think we're in, and we're, we've been in for a long period of time now, since probably the late 80s, early 90s, of uh, coalitions. Yeah. You know, so it's no one party is going to dominate. Now, it, as we stand here in January 2023, it looks like that it, on barring unforeseen uh, circumstances, we'll say in the following year, or we'll say 2025 if it goes that, that far, that uh, Sinn Féin will certainly have a significant, if not majority, part to play in the next government of of the land. I said, who the second party or additional people will be is to be decided. We'll, we'll, look, we'll be coming to that and talking about that for a long period of time, uh, to co- you know, over the next sort of 12, 18 months, and see what light land uh, comes to. But I, I'm going to come back
2: to um, this. The second half of this government, we still the, have. A, yeah. We still have half of this government to go yeah, through. So, yeah.
0: so basically, uh, Mihal stepped out, and Leo <coughs> stepped back in. That's right. Right. That's right. So talk, talk to me.
2: Yeah. So this is Leo's. This is his second. Um, Iteration now as Taoiseach. You know, he has been Taoiseach. He was Taoiseach from 2017 when Enda Kenny retired um, to the 2020 general election. Then he was this kind of interim Taoiseach while the negotiations were ongoing. Then, in the first couple of months um, of the of, of COVID, of the pandemic, which some might argue was when he performed his best. Um, You know, we all remember those kind of fine speeches on the steps in Washington and, you know, the addresses to the nation at nine o'clock after the news, that type of thing. Um, He definitely um, got on better at that point in his tenure than he had we'll say if you take it 20 from 20s, from 2017 to 2020 yeah. he actually you know he reduced He, he, he his Fine Gael failed basically in the 2020 election they reduced yeah. in numbers significantly so you know he wasn't uh, a good leader if you go by the, the, the results of the 2020 so he got this bump um, um, at the start of the pandemic like a lot of leaders Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand um, like a lot of leaders got this bump around the world in relation to their response to the pandemic um, so then he moves out he becomes Tarnished obviously Felt a kind of a, you could see that, again, and this reflects well on Michal Martin rather than Leo Varadkar, um, he created a lot of hassle in his own government as Taunashta. Obviously, the adjustment from Taoiseach to Taunashta didn't sit well with him. He was, he doing, lot of, he he was, was doing a lot of messing. Yeah. He was doing a lot of messing as, as a member of government. Um, Michal Martin didn't kind of lose the cool um dealt with it as best he possibly could. So he comes back in now, um, December 2022, and he has these two years now as Taoiseach again. His lead up, um, personally, I think he's, he's, um, I would worry about him as Taoiseach, temperamentally. Um, um, His decision, and we saw that even leading up to, and again, some might say this is some of his private affairs, but his decision making as a public figure notwithstanding the fact that he is entitled to a private life, um, leaves a little to be questioned, I think. Um, His ability to work as part of a government um, would worry me at times. Um, Some of the things I outlined there, further to that, if you take it last September, his reaction to the commission of taxation. You know, then this is a key issue that we all need to deal with as as an economy, as a society, how we deal with taxation. He absolutely... Plaints gallery undermined the report of the commission of taxation. You know they talked about the type of taxation we will have in the future, whether we go after capital or how we deal with taxation. He didn't like, or he felt it wasn't playing well to his Fine Gael audience. So bang, he smashes down on top of on top of that. He has a tendency to do that. No, it might perhaps be shrewd political antennae as well. Um, you know he did that in relation to public health with um, Tony Holohan at, at various times if he felt the wind was blowing in a certain way well he went against the public health um, um, proposals so he, 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 my worry about him as teacher is that he tends to play a little bit to the gallery he isn't quite the same um, safe pair of hands that Mihal Martin is so that would be my one worry uh, but it's a second iteration it's a second coming perhaps he has learned like I said he does have political antennae, but I would have a worry about a government that he would lead and especially a government like this, Fianna Fáil, Greens, um, Fine Gael. And there's one little thing just in the start of a couple of weeks of this, the first couple of weeks, where I kind of, to me, it sets off a kind of, I would say, an amber flashing light. His reaction to the health um, crisis and the housing crisis, he seems to be dumping on two Fianna Fáil ministers there, Dara O'Brien and, And um, uh, what's the guy from Wicklow, the Minister for Health, Um, Stephen Donnelly, he seems to be kind of dumping on those, kind of treading on their toes. And that's not a good, I don't think it's a good way for a Taoiseach to actually operate when he's kind of the, the chair of a collective cabinet as such. So he's immediately, I think, looking to the, again, looking to the galleries a little bit, perhaps, and... He might just expend a bit of political capital that his government needs by um, beating up a little bit on his Minister for Housing and his Minister for Health. That's just maybe. I'm not sure, but that could be an issue.
0: I would agree with you, but I think it's 100% hypocritical, right? Because his party has been in power since 2011. What have they done about housing? Oh, that's right. Right? (laughs) uh, No, uh, you could be, I I said I'm I'm just going to pass a comment here, um, which I agree with a certain amount of, but then there's another bit of it. I'm not so sure. You go back to when the country was on its knees and Michael Noonan, as taught to, effectively gave um, vulture funds the keys to Ireland mm. to come in and start buying up properties. Mm. And we were reaping what was sown then with regards to the housing crisis that exists. I, I would say the rental crisis yeah. that exists and the rental cost that exists in this country at this time. And they've encouraged it because mm. you've gone to a stage where we all said after 2008 there won't be a housing estate built in, in the country. For, we were for, knocking for, down for, housing for, you know, estates yeah, in certain parts of the country. Yeah, because yeah. we, they were built in the wrong place. Yeah. And now you sort of go,
2: hmm... Uh,
0: now we can't build housing. And then there are developers that are building, and the estates are being sold in full to vulture funds before they're gone on the yeah. market. The and they're being sold to vulture funds for rental.
2: Mm. Well, there's a definite you can see. You, you said there, Luke, when we were on our knees, and me and 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 Michael Noonan. He wasn't actually Taoiseach; he was Minister for Finance. Sorry, sorry yeah, was my Minister my for name, Finance. Sorry, but my apologies. When we were on our knees, and I remember the period I was working in this uh, at that time in this political stratosphere. Um, we weren't quite on our knees. We had actually come through it. It was If you look at the actual legislative reaction to, to how it is we were going to kind of progress, it was actually 2013 yeah. when Michael Noonan made those kind of amendments and changes in the Finance Act yeah. um, in, in the budgets. So we had come through the worst of it. It was... Becoming apparent, becoming obvious we had done quite well when we had been under the structure of the trica. We had done quite well. We were going to come out of this thing. Well,
0: I, I was, would say, Paul, it, we behaved
2: ourselves. We did. We, 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 we had We. It, it had worked. With yeah. a lot of pain for people, it had worked. So it was kind of becoming apparent that we were going to come out of this and we were going to... Be OK. You know, with the big bazooka from Prodi, with, with, with the ECB changing from Tricia's philosophy of no printing of money to Prodi changing to yeah. print money. And now we're printing money like no be damned. But we had come out of it. It was at that point, And if you go back and look at this, it was at that point that Michael Noonan legislatively changed a lot of the tax code in relation to how it was the property was going to be, as you rightly say, then accessed by funds from... Outside, you know, it wasn't. You know, we had taken it onto our books for the four years, eight to twelve. But when it became apparent that there was going to be a profit in it, it was shifted off our books back into kind of more private investment sector. Um, that I think is a most definite was a most definite policy decision for whatever reason I don't know. But it's a policy decision that kind of ties in there what you're starting to outline in that we shift from a home ownership model to a home renting model. But it most definitely hasn't worked. It well, most definitely hasn't worked. But it was a very definite policy decision by Michael Noonan at a point in time where he had leeway and flexibility to choose a different policy yeah. decision. Or,
0: or, or potentially leave it as is. Because you've now gone from a stage where you've had certain people that might have had a second investment property. You know, some people might have mm. had it or, or it be something handed down family through the years. And now... The thing, like the person that might have one or two houses to rent, they're sort of gone out of the market, and it's big sort of multinational. Oh yeah, it's hedge funds. It's hedge funds. It's blocks
2: of houses. It's hedge funds. It's pension funds from Canadian teachers. You know, it's it's yep. it's wealth funds from the um, city of London. You know, it's, it's it's all these. It's the financialization of kind of the modern world economy. They're in yep. now. They see an opportunity in Ireland. You were able to buy property at a very low rate in 2013. Get a good return. New You knew, as I said, you knew you were going to get a good return. Um, So you get in there quickly, you take your 25, 30 percent over five or six years and you get out then again when it becomes unaffordable. Now, there's no reason why the Irish state couldn't have done that in 2013. We're starting to do it now. In 2019, we have this land agency now. We're starting to do it now when the stable doors are wide open, the horse is long gone and it's going to cost us an awful lot more. We're doing it now. We had the opportunity, as I said, it was a policy, a deliberate policy decision in 2013 to do that. And... Michael Noonan and Fianna Gale, for whatever reason, chose to I, I go it, on a certain I path. I think it's their policies. It,
0: it, it, it's their <laughs> po- it. And it was sort of like, it sort of happened and we didn't realise it was happening. And it's yeah. sort of like, it's coming home to roost now. Mm. And, and that's why, you know, there's a part of me sort of wondering, okay, why, why, why was it done... Did it need to be done in the way that was done? And, you know, was it sort mm. of uh, favours or whatever else like that? But uh, it, it brings me on to the next thing I want to talk about. And this is, um, I, and uh, let me say that uh, I'm not referring to Michael Noonan or anything else like in relation to this, but it's sort of uh, politics and Irish culture in general and its response to white collar crime. Mm. Okay, and what I would call white collar crime (coughs) is where it's not you're not going in to rob the bank, but it's a little bit like uh, you mightn't want to pay the taxes. Right. Okay, Mm. And there's not too many people in this country have ever gone to jail in relation to white collar crime. And it is something that uh, while it might not be condoned, plenty of it is happening and not very much has been done about it. The mm. great, the great line, you know, if if you or I owe the bank ten thousand euros, we're in trouble. Mm. If you or I owe the bank a million euros, they're in trouble.
2: Yeah, exactly. That's right? it. that's it.
0: Which brings me on to um, sort of how we've uh, we're going to come off onto or we're going to jump off the ditch now, Tom, and we're going to talk about uh, junior ministers, and we lost one. And we're going to talk uh, about that. Robert Troy lost his position after a lot of pressure, I would think.
2: Yeah, so he he hung on with his fingertips yeah. for as long as yeah. he possibly could. He hung on with his fingertips.
0: And it was journalism that brought him down. Mm-hmm. Okay and you know we we've, we have this debate in relation to journalism in this country and there is a website to which I'm going to allude to com, which is mm. run by two journalists and I would advise anyone to have a look at it. I said we, we all would we, like to give recommendations in relation to this show, and we would we, sort of recommend that uh, you know the rest is politics, uh, <laughs> and uh, the news agents in the UK uh, as other shows to listen to. But I would encourage anybody to go and have a look at underditch.com dot com because from a journalistic point of view, what they've been able to bring bring out and to prove. And I said they basically brought down Robert Troy. So, mm. give me your thoughts on that part
2: Yeah, Robert Troy. I suppose the, 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 it's, it's at this stage now you're going, you're going back a number of months at this stage. But the case with Robert Troy was that a significant property portfolio that he had started to amass um, at a very young age, eighteen or nineteen years of age. Um, he's from Longford Westmead, that constituency up around that. Loan postmaster um, worked in the com- worked in, in his community as, as 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 a postmaster with a post office. Um, Became elected, was kind of the. He had the the blessing of Mary O'Rourke, a significant political figure up in that area, and became a Fianna Fáil TD, I think in that um, decimation, decimation type election in 2011. So he became the Fianna Fáil representative. Um, then became a junior minister in um, the 2020, I think it was in the Department of Enterprise, a, a kind of a junior minister for trade. Um, then it became apparent, following the investigative journalism of On the Ditch, the online kind of news. Um, Agency or website, website, yeah, whatever you want to call it, um, that he hadn't been declaring properties that were in his ownership, and yeah. this every TD and every senator, every member of the Oroctus has to every year under the office uh, un, under the offices of the Standards in Public Office Sipo um, declare um, an interest they may have in property. Now they don't have to declare it on their family home, but they have yeah. to declare an interest that they may have in property.
0: Now, Tom, keep that word in mind. Sipo, or we, we are we? We're because we're going to refer to it a few times. Sipo, Standards in, in public, public, office. public
2: Office. This was a body that was created as a result of, you might remember, the all the controversial um, political issues in relation to the Planning Tribunal that went on for ages, and it, you know, the, all the the murky carry-ons of of Oireachtas members and county councillors in relation to the designation and the zoning of lands in Dublin Quarryvale whatever you know George Regmond being arrested on his way to the Isle of Man with Two hundred and thirty thousand pounds in his underpants, all this kind of stuff, you know. So Sipo, you know, w- was kind of created and it's a watchdog. It's a watchdog. It's a watchdog for for, for 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 public representatives, basically. And I think it extends to senior civil servants, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, as well. I think it possibly extends to senior civil servants. So every year, all, all our ACTUS members have to declare um, the shares that they own, the properties that they own, the land that they own, that type of thing. So you see it. It's 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 it's, it's accessible on the Oroctus website that you can look in at um, Deputy X from Constituency Y and you can see that he owns 100 acres of land in wherever and he owns a house in Dublin and he owns two houses in Malaga or Lisbon or something. Anyway, look, you can see all this and some, yeah. and every year there's an article, oh my God, here's the TD with the most property. Yeah. I think Michael Healy-Ray has been the TD with the yeah, most it, property it, it, for the last number of years. Yeah, or yeah, Danny. I, So I, this is the type yeah. of thing. So I, I'd,
0: I'd, 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 um, I'd quantify that, Paul.
2: And I would say You're that... you have got to have a go at quantifying the Healy Rays property, <laughs> good man. No,
0: I would say that in relation to the Healy Rays, I said we will all have our opinions on some of the <laughs> actions that they get involved with. But there is one thing where they cannot be held in contempt. And they declare what they have. You know?
2: As far as we know at the yeah. moment. Uh, yeah, but, but know, they're, fair, they're but they're uh,
0: open enough about it. Yeah. I said if they're coming around, if they're hiding things behind, you know, the stone wall, I said they have more
2: know, In fairness, and we, we have a great journalist here in County Clare, probably our best investigative journalist, Gordon Deegan, who kind of who has kind of um, how would you say focused in on company law and kind of accounting journalism and he produces excellent stuff, you know, about the, the annual returns from a yeah. company. But he, he actually has done people on Danny Healy Ray for instance you know, and, you know Danny Healy Ray's company has submitted its account so Gordon Deegan then is able to create a story that Danny Healy Ray made 100 million because it's there it's public available. and you can access yeah. it and if you're the right type of journalist that you're able to go through these figures you, you can, can comprise you, you can create an article that's in the public interest it's good for us to know that Danny Healy Ray made a lot of money or the Macroom Bypass or yeah. you know this type of thing or he owns 10 properties in Trilly, or whatever it actually is it's good and if you're the right journalist to access it and to make sense of it yeah. but it depends on people filling it out and, <laughs> in an manner and that
0: refers a little bit to what the boys in On The Ditch are doing oh, so, sorry now, Robert Troy didn't had 11 properties 9 of which were rentals and 5 of them were under HAP which is basically the housing uh, assistance housing programme assistance programme ok your
2: rent gets paid by the state
0: ok so th- that's that's what you had no, I think the big issue that he had in relation to uh, one particular house was that he bought he bought a house and sold it to Meade County Council for double the money he paid for it within three months. Yes. That, that I think, is sort of uh, where he would have had probably a few potential
2: questions to answer. So, yeah. so... You see, the important thing here is that these properties are declared because Robert Troy is walking into the doll. He's voting on legislation. He might be even bringing legislation to the floor of the House. So we need to know, as citizens of the country... What it is that Robert Troy's interests are. Now, I'm saying, look, we don't, we can't be puerile about it. Now, maybe I strayed a little bit in, 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 in we're talking about Leo Radker a while ago, um, about the private lives of public representatives but the private actions do influence and do impact on the public decisions so at the very least it's critical if Robert Troy owns 11 properties or 15 properties whatever it actually is that we know exactly what type of properties they are because as I say he's going to walk into the doll, he's going to enact or at the very least vote on legislation that might have a material impact on his standing or status or wealth or whatever it is you want to call it I think it's critical for um, for a functioning democracy, that this stuff works and works properly.
3: Yeah,
0: and there are, there are questions, we'll say, that uh, members in the co- in the council there in Longford was, had to answer in relation to it as well because there was valuations of property and it was a little bit like, we'll pull a picture, we'll pull a, a sort of figure out of the sky and then mm. you know, five mm. months later... And like you said, this flipping
2: and doubling, that, that's just something just yeah. not quite right about that. Yeah. So
0: that's basically ro- ro- Robert Troy. Okay. And then... <laughs> As the man says, to have, what was the great line, Paul, to have it happen to one? To one is, is unfortunate, unfortunate. To
2: happen, is just plain right carelessness.
0: <laughs> it is downright carelessness. Oscar <laughs> Wilde. Exactly. Now, I don't have any quotes from Oscar Wilde here today. <clears throat> We're going to have a
1: few quotes <laughs> later
2: on now. But. Hi there. I want to let you know that I have resigned as Minister of State. Over 14 years ago, I made a planning application for my family home. In that application, some of the information I gave was not correct. This was wrong, it's not acceptable, and I'm very sorry for that. I want to thank the people of Mead West for their support over all the years. And I'm looking forward to continuing to working for you and with you with my team in Dal Éireann in the years ahead. I also want to thank Laura and my family for their ongoing support and sacrifice for the work I do as a TD for Mead West.
0: Now, as I said, that's Damien English, uh, TD for Mead West, who has resigned his junior ministership but hasn't resigned his seat. And as I said, to lose one might be unfortunate, to lose two could be turning into a bit of a trend. And uh, we'll give credit where credit is due. The next clip I'm going to play is an interview that was on News Talk and it is with uh, Pascal Dunhu. And I would like you to take a listen to this now.
3: Damien English, I mean, we had Robert Troy. We had a slightly different thing with Derek Leary. It wasn't about filling out forms. But we have had this whole thing of SIPO and filling out declarations properly. The amazing thing about all of this is, this was all in the news a few months ago. Every politician of Ivory Stripe across the doll, I don't know, yourself or others, everyone said, OK, you know, he made a mistake. We'll all have a fresh look at our forms, make sure everything's in there. Where, where was Damien English when that happened, surely?
4: And this is why Damien made the decision to resign this morning. This is why the decision uh, was made by the Taoiseach, obviously, to accept his resignation. Uh, and uh, I have a very, very high recognition of how hard Damien has worked as a TD and as a minister. Uh, but this is something that should have been declared. If he would
3: have been sitting around during the whole Robert Troy controversy, surely he would have said, let me go back and make sure mine are all tied down. And You wouldn't have thought, wouldn't you have thought And yourself?
4: Maybe this is one of the ingredients by uh, that led Damien to decide that the best thing for him to do was to resign uh, quickly and to recognise what had happened. Uh, he has said himself uh, uh, that this is a requirement that should have been met and uh, he resigned in recognition of the seriousness of the issue.
3: How disappointed were you, were you yourself? You know, this is in the Fine Gael party. It's one of your own that has has made the mess up here. You must have been disappointing.
4: I'm dis- disappointed on two counts. Of course, I'm disappointed that the correct information was not supplied at the right point. Um, I also know how hard Damien has worked and does work uh, as a minister, as a TD. I've known him for many, many years. Um, and I'm. Uh, it's a pity to see that kind of work end in this way. But the key thing is is that uh, this is a requirement that should have been fulfilled, that should have been met. And Damien has recognised that by resigning himself.
3: You think there's a cultural thing here, and and then it's politicians as a a profession, I suppose, of just not taking these forms seriously enough, like the rest of us have to do when we do our annual tax return and a whole range of other state forms. Is this the issue? And I know it's not party, but just politicians seem to be rather blasé about filling these things out. Uh, I don't think such a culture is there.
4: If there was uh, an impression of it not being taken seriously or, God forbid, impunity, then Damien uh, uh, would still be in office. He's decided to resign uh, because we have to meet, and we should meet, exactly the same standards as everybody else. Uh, And when issues develop that are as serious as this in relation to a property, that has to be then recognised by action that is taken, which has happened.
3: Because there's somebody out there probably a few people out there in me who didn't get a house because he filled this form incorrectly. That That's theoretically possible well, at the very least.
4: I understand this is about the granting of planning permission uh, so therefore you are correct uh, given the uh, limitations that are there in terms of the granting of planning permission. Uh, uh, but this is a really serious issue and as highly and as much as I recognise the work that Damien has done I equally recognise that the appropriate action to take is to recognise the seriousness of this matter and to offer his resignation to the Taoiseach.
3: Do you think we need to concentrate minds a little bit more, concentrate political minds? The sanction here is, yes, he loses his ministerial role. That is a sanction. He's doing it voluntarily. But a lot of people would say it needs to be tougher, possibly losing of a seat, maybe even a financial fine. Like, how how do we concentrate minds where the politicians say, well, at worst, I'll be out of office for a year or two and I, I can come back in, like Derek Leary did, admittedly in another context. So, should we not be tougher if these if this, conti- if this just drips and drips and drips and the forms and SIPO constantly re-emphasising the message? Do we need to toughen it up and say, no, the sanctions should be more? Well, I believe the forfeiture of ministerial office and the
4: resignation from us is a, uh, a really big recognition of the seriousness of the matter. Um, I don't believe it should go beyond the resignation of a Dáil Seat. Uh, I do believe those who have... Financial
3: pa- fine? Penalty? Uh, I, I, well... But- I, I mean, it's, I, I, it's I, what the rest of us have to put up with, right? Uh, but on
4: the other hand, what he is doing is resigning from a job, uh, resigning from an office that is very important within our state, that would have meant an awful lot to him. In terms of the point regarding your membership of Dáil and uh, my own view is the really the only people who should determine whether you're in Dáil Éireann or not are the electorate. And they decide if they want you to represent them or not. Uh, and what Damien has done in uh, 4.13
3: and resigning
4: from office that really matters to him is recognising the seriousness of what has happened.
3: Um, Who should we get in next or what, 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 any thought being given to that no, yet that, or a party leader is going that, to
4: look at this Or that's a matter for the Taoiseach and it's a matter for him to decide upon it's not something that I, I'm afraid I'd be able to offer a view on
3: no, and, and the Ditch website I mean they've now claimed two scalfs I mean it's a strange one isn't it that this one particular media outlet has, has, has <coughs> ping- fingered two politicians and both have had to resign uh, I would prefer just
4: to focus on the fact mm. that there are standards that we have to meet and it's up to uh, any journalistic uh, organisation, you, any of your colleagues, to decide sure. what you form a view on, um, uh, why it is written, or the nature of it It's a matter for journalists. And uh, we operate in a free society that has uh, many different important consequences. The key thing I want to recognise as a politician is there are particular standards, particularly when it comes to planning, uh, and uh, that need to be met in this case it wasn't met and Damien has recognised
0: that Now there's a little bit of irony there um, that I'm going to come back to in a minute but that's Pascal O'Donoghue and his response and I just want to uh, play 50 seconds of a response from Mary Lou MacDonald. I would then want us to talk about this and then uh, there's an, an issue in relation to Pascal O'Donoghue as well that we'll talk about as well. So this is Mary Lou MacDonald.
3: Yes uh, well I, I, I think it's clear that uh, the Minister made the correct uh, decision in resigning um, I mean it's it was a, a very very serious uh, omission on his behalf and I uh, it, it's strange to reflect that the, this resignation almost has an echo of the last government when Michal Martin made his apo- appointments and resignations that happened uh, at that time. Uh, look. Uh, You you won't be surprised to hear me say that it is is my strong view that that what we need, in fact, is a new government in Dublin, a new sense of energy and direction. And what we always need is uh, politicians that are accountable. And when we make the rules, we have to observe and and obey uh, the rules also.
0: Now, that's Mary Lou, uh, all measured and all the rest of it. But I'm just going to refer now to uh, ontheditch.com and I'm actually going to tell you about some of the issues that they have raised, okay Uh, So, Fine Gael Minister of State Damien English lied about his home ownership to secure planning permission for a new home, and I suppose I should probably start this off saying, we've probably all had our dealings with relation to planning permission, and most rural people will say in in Ireland will have had issues in relation to planning permission, and we've all had queries in relation to it, but Now, the irony of it being, the former junior housing minister, the former junior housing minister, just remember that. Sorry, got that one, Luke. (laughs) Was the owner of a bungalow when he falsely submitted a declaration to meet the county council that he didn't own a home. Under planning rules, Mead County Council only grants permission for one-off dwellings to locals who don't already own a house and can prove they have a housing need. Which, uh, in certain circumstances, I think is quite similar to what happened here as well. We have yep. The house that the Mead West TD didn't admit to owning in his application is the same property he had failed to declare in the Doll register for more than a decade, as reported by the Ditch on Monday. The house is six kilometres from his current home. Uh, Junior Min- Enterprise Minister bought his first house, which he still owns, in 2004 with an Ulster Bank mortgage, according to Land Res- registry records. Uh, the house was previously owned by his father. In 2008, English and his wife, who uh, they had just got married the previous year, applied for planning permission to build a 2,800-square-foot bungalow on a two-and-a-half-acre site in Cookstown, County Meath. According to Mead County Council's Rural Housing Policy, it will consider granting one-off permission to locals, quote, who have never owned a rural house and who wish to build their first home close to the original family home, unquote, under controversial local-only planning rules first introduced in 2005. As part of his application, English was required to complete and submit a local needs form to Mead County Council to prove he had a housing need, and that his application complied with this Rural Housing Policy. Without proof of a housing need, English wouldn't receive permission. Already owning a home in the locality would show he didn't have a housing need. In his application, he said he didn't own. And then, quote, According to the local needs form submitted with the application, he does not own a dwelling and has not owned a dwelling previously, wrote Mead County Council Planning Officer uh, Alan Russell in his report dated 8th of October 2008. Despite purchasing his first house more than four years earlier, he also claimed he was residing in his parents' Castle Martin home and submitted documentation for the past five years which linked him to the family home. So relying on English's false declaration that he didn't own a house, Mead County Council granted him permission for the new home in October 2008. Just more than two years before submitting a planning application for the property, English spoke of the dangers of lying to the council about one-off housing developments. And I quote, a person building a one-off house cannot afford to be cheeky with the council or to take any risks. These pe- people face the full rigour of the law and the council comes down on them if they step sideways, said English, ironically, during the March 2006 housing debate in the Dole. Now, what are <coughs> your thoughts on that?
2: Um, that's it. You see, <laughs> it, the interesting thing about this, okay, English has resigned and English resigned very quickly. If you just listen to the pieces, even as late as last night, you had a Fine Gael parliamentary party meeting in in in, in the Oireachtas and apparently um, standing ovation, round of applause for Damien English and his approach. The reporting of that last night was by Senan Maloney in The Irish Independent. And he talked about factually incorrect assertion that Damien English had made, a factually incorrect assertion. in some of the bits you play there, Luke, some of the... the and I think language is important in this. Some of the information was not correct. That's Damien English himself speaking in his resignation. Some of the information was not correct. Um, Pascal who there in this Newstalk piece, the correct information was not supplied at the point. A requirement that should have been met. Um, and then he talks about God forbid impunity but in every element of it the way underditch Ditch are um, reporting this Damien English actively lied in his planning apl- application went out of his way to produce false information that didn't reflect his housing need and his family's housing need so it's not a kind of a, it's, it's, not, it's not a passive um, God I didn't fill out the correct form he actively um didn't. He actively um, um, subverted the planning process. You know, so that's um, impunity. (laughs) God forbid impunity, as Pascal Donahue says there. Or he lied. You know, this is what it looks like. So there surely has to be sanction other than just resigning. And I think one of the reasons he got off the pitch so quickly was that he didn't want this thing developing legs and kind of people getting into the nuance of the language and starting to kind of see that, look, this is quacking, this is walking, this is talking, this is swimming, this is a joke. You know, he went out of his way to actually lie on a planning application. Now, there has to be, I don't know off the top of my head, but if you go back to the Planning um, Act 2000, there has to be sanction in there in relation to how it is the people deal with planning applications or if they um, actively lie. And the the news reporter is correct. The fact that Damien English gets planning permission, that materially um, implies down the line, that somebody else won't. Because you have, in single rural houses, you have a load on the water table in relation to sanitary services. You know, you have, there's only so much you can build in the open countryside. So it does, it does have an impact on somebody else that might need planning permission or should qualify for planning permission because they don't own a house in that particular area of Mead. So there has to be something there within the Planning Act 2000. It's comprehensive enough that there is something there is a proper sanction not just a re, not not just this I resign my post as junior minister a proper sanction that reflects the seriousness of the actions Damien English chose to pursue in 2008 and failed to declare no. it's not about declaration mm. this again is kind of passive yes. this is about act undermining yeah, the planning but it, it, process. but it's
0: been given out ab- about failing to declare,
2: and what it's I think... Been, it's been delivered in those yeah. terms, as, as if it's um, factually incorrect assertion. Some of the information was not correct. Yeah. This is all passive, makes it look a little bit better than what it actually is. Uh,
0: Tom, before you come in, I don't want to burst your bubble, but I just want to point out the following from On The Ditch. Damien English obtained a mortgage from permanent TSB for his Cookstown County Meath home in 2010, according to land registry records. He received planning permission, as we alluded to earlier, for this property in 2008, after he falsely declared to Meath County Council that he didn't already own a house. The ex-junior minister already had a mortgage with Ulster Bank on his other home in Castle Martin County Meath, six kilometres from his second home. English defaulted on his first mortgage and it was eventually sold to a vulture fund, Promontaria, in 2019. English managed to hold on to the bungalow and remains its legal owner. This wasn't English's only mortgage transferred to a vulture fund, nor the only one he still owns. In 2019, the West TD's permanent TSB mortgage was transferred to Lone Star Funds owned uh, start Mortgages, DAC, as part of the sale of 10,700 non-performing loans known as Project Glass. Around a year before the sale, then-Junior Housing Minister English made specific reference to the state-owned Permanent TSB's proposed sale of the Project Glass loan book when speaking in the Shannon, and I quote, The question of Permanent TSB and vulture funds was raised by several people. No proposals have come forward yet in respect of who is buying that loan book. Who or what is going to buy up these loan books? Loan books are sold on a regular basis by different banks throughout the world. What is important is that people are protected in their homes regardless of who owns their loans, quote-unquote, said English speaking in the Shannon in February 2018. He failed to declare his personal interest in the matter. And in 2017, then Housing Minister Simon Coveney made English responsible for implementing a number of mortgage arrears reforms. This was despite English himself being the holder of two mortgages in arrears, and he served as a Minister of State for Housing from June 2017 until June 2020. Ministers of State who have a, quote, material interest in a matter being discussed in the Oireachtas must, quote, make a declaration of the fact in the proceedings before or during the course of the speech, quote, according to SIPO, or the Standard in Public Office, Code of Conduct for Office Holders. English has managed to retain ownership of the two homes despite both mortgages being sold to vulture funds. The Mead man served as a Minister of State in various departments since 2014 on a yearly salary of approximately 140,000 euros a year. Leo of declined to comment when asked if he was aware of English's financial difficulties when he appointed him Junior Housing Minister in
1: 2017. Now, Tom, fire away. Um, God bless on the (laughs) ditch.com. Um, well first of all I want to say thank God for Paul Bugler because Pascal Donahue is one of the most boring individuals (laughs) I've ever heard on these headphones and it's just it's just unbelievable stuff anyway is there is there a is there a kind of a ceiling in this country where you have got financial kind of uh, gurus that actually run the whole ship as opposed to the government the government are an under layer and there's a higher layer of kind of those that actually really run the country when it comes to vulture funds and all the bits and pieces, that they're directing the ship and that the government are only taking their their kind of cues. And this SIPO is there yeah. for the right reasons, for obvious, and we've got journalists and impeccable journalists that are digging deeper and deeper and deeper <laughs> to, dig, to bring up mm-hmm. very relevant stuff. And what I would say about the planning application is that particular piece of information is a red line issue when it comes to planning. There's lots of stuff in well, I, planning. But I agree with you, that's I that, agree with you. But that element about owning an existing house is a red line issue that fundamentally should bring the, the planning application to uh, a halt if you have a because that's that's mm. the nature of the beast I mean there's lots of other stuff oh is there an existing septic tank oh there is or there isn't yeah. but that's an issue that, that's a red line issue from a mm. point of view of well if you
2: have to if, you, if you're going to have faith in a planning process and by God we need Correct. faith in a planning Correct. process yeah. everybody has to access it at some stage for whatever reason modifying a house changing a house building a new house whatever it actually is we need we have to have faith and the, our whole the, the existence we talk about SIPO personally I think I, I don't we shouldn't have we shouldn't need to have SIPO you know, people should be just good enough in their own vocation as political and public representatives. We shouldn't need this. Yeah, but but like you say, there's too much prove? of a connection. Does this not well, sure, prove? Of course it prove? Of course it does.
1: But it's a case of like, regardless of your, um, how do you say, your stature in society, it's get rid of, or get, get away with as much as you possibly can. Yeah. And here you've got the government yeah. and you've got a minister of state who's involved in housing Mm. issues, he's involved directly in relation to, you know, voting yeah, and stuff. And he's, he's, he's got his hand yeah, in the, in the, in well, the trough.
2: See, the awful thing is then, you say see, we've seen this around the world, and I have no doubt but that we'll see it here, each one of these, each Damien English, each Robert Troy, um, these type of resignations, they chip away at the fundamentals of our democratic system. And then you kind of, what happens in the next stage is that you get somebody standing up and saying, oh, this is a drain the swamp. I'm going to sort all yeah, this out. Yeah, yeah, and you get yeah. this autocratic, centralised figure appears and says, I'm going to sort all this out. So it, it's, a lot of it, our pressures on our democratic system are self-inflicted. And that's what's so frustrating for people. You know, that, that we see this carry on and we see people then that can't, that have to use phrases like factually incorrect assertions. Some of the information was not correct. This kind of pissing about with the language of it. You know, like I say, it's quacking, it's talking, it's walking, it's swimming, it's a duck, it's a duck, it's a duck. But no. isn't, it,
1: isn't it very um, political language? Because they know what to say to try and, uh, how do you say, deviate yeah, out of the get potholes. Yeah, to get through, get through the interview get through, whatever. Get yeah. through, get yeah. yeah. And I mean, they're coached Absolutely. on this. They're Absolutely. coached, to listen, if you... Absolutely. And I mean, you were speaking about the, the health minister before. I mean, he's probably... He's unfortunate because he's not a very... I don't know, warm sort of character You don't, mm, you don't yeah. kind of jump on his bandwagon and go. I love the health minister. You know, <laughs> I, know, I, I know, know what you mean. You I know, know what I mean? you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Just, you no, know, you're right. You're right. Compared, on that. To, compared to from from where we kind of came from, the the, the previous, as I say even Hulahin and bits and pieces, they were all more kind of warm. Yeah, you, you do know, need that. You but he just doesn't have. I I, there, I haven't been in the company of anyone <laughs> where he's been on the radio or TV that has said
2: I like this guy. <laughs> yeah. They
1: just he just has he just he's just extremely
2: technocratic or something. His managementy. But I agree. Yeah. I mean,
1: he's one of these people that you wouldn't mind throwing underneath the bus, <laughs> yeah. you know, by other ministers or by Leo. Yeah. You know, yeah, he'd be it. like, he'd mm. be like collateral damage. Yeah, and collateral but, damage. But, but
0: I, I'm just going to bring you back to Damien, okay. right? He was first elected to the Dáil in 2002, right? So he, he's been a he's been an elected TD for 20 years, right? Average it out. He's probably earned a hundred thousand a year in twenty years. That's two million. And he's defaulted on two mortgages. I was gonna
2: say, did you say he defaulted on a
0: on a mortgage? It,
2: I do. It, it, it looks like that. I don't know. Interesting. Here's a little intro. No, well now, Paul, uh, I'll yeah, put okay. you
0: like this. Mortgages don't really get taken over by vulture funds unless there's an issue with them.
2: Yeah. It's quite unusual, I think, from, I have no experience, but from what I hear of the, 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 the trauma that people went through, it's quite unusual to be able to purchase it back yourself and that's an unusual step that you get a chance to buy back your mortgage which basically gives you a massive amount of breathing space you know you buy it back at a discount you know, not the original discount there's, there's a there's a premium added on to that but you're buying it back at a discount at what it was taken from you in the first place that's an unusual they don't like that that moral hazard they used to talk about yeah. they don't like people I mean, I'm just buying I'm just, back I'm just their going mortgages so well, the, that's interesting
0: uh, yeah I'm go- just going to give you a last quote we'll say from On The Ditch the veteran Fine Gael TD lived in the property until 2010 when he moved to a new larger home in Cookstown near Kells. So that's the new house that he got the plan planning permission from. Okay, He kept his old ho- home, and as it is no longer his primary residence, uh, English has been required under ethics legislation to declare ownership of it since 2011, Okay, mm. which he didn't do. So he didn't mm-hmm. declare ownership of it for 10 years. Having decided to keep his former home, English, whose ministerial responsibilities include insolvency operations at the Department of Social Protection, defaulted on his Hmm. Ulster Bank mortgage and in 2019 the bank sold his loan to Vulture Fund Promontaria. English, however, managed to keep hold of the house, struck a deal with Promontaria last year, according to the property's folio, which showed that the loan is no longer registered as a charge against the house. So that basically means that he's probably bought it back. He's bought yeah. Okay? The property sits on a half-acre site and is valued at approximately 200,000 euros.
2: The really interesting thing now, it'll be interesting, will there be a severance payment as um, junior minister, leaving his role as junior minister? Is there a severance payment? Mm. Interesting yep. to look at that one.
0: Yeah. Right, Tom.
2: Yeah, no, it's just amazing how you can buy the, your loan back
1: directly again. No, it's th- 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 like I Is said. That, I, remember, I didn't realize you could I, do I,
2: that. But I remember the debates during some of those years we talked about earlier with Michael Noonan, and this was kind of a strategic um, thing that some people were, 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 were hoping to avail of. That you, you're, you you've been defaulting for whatever reason, pro- probably genuine, maybe strategic as well. You've been defaulting on your mortgage. Um, we'll say it's a two hundred thousand euro mortgage. Some Ulster Bank sell it off to the vulture funds for we'll say 70,000 euros so they take a kind of a, a massive hit on that but they get something so they can take it off their books So and they were getting recapitalized by the state so that's okay they've got it off their books a bad performing loan so then you've got this vulture fund have it for a couple of years at 70,000 so they sell it then to somebody else to another bank to another hedge fund or a, or whatever. Profit or whatever. sell it for 100,000 so they okay. make 30,000 on the 70,000 so they've done well out of it so what they were trying to make sure didn't happen all the time with all the legislation that there were, with that people that didn't strategically default on their mortgage sell it a 200,000 mortgage sell it for the 70 and then and then buy it for 100 so they've become 100,000 euros better off so they were trying to not allow that to happen they called it moral hazard you know, and, so they, and this refers it to, to have have happened a lot in of this properties case. with
0: NAMA as well and that they mm. didn't want developers buying back mm, land buying back they, the, yeah, they, on a know, bigger they, scale they paid yeah. for huge money yeah. buying it back yeah. for half nothing yeah. so a few years interesting.
2: later interesting and,
1: and speaking of NAMA are they winding up this year? I suppose at this stage now, they I mean, were brought in, so.
2: so they're part of the housing yeah. building programme yeah. for, they, I think their they're, they're yeah, remit, or their, yeah. their, their function yeah, has to Yeah, they're starting, I think, to, be, to build mm.
0: houses, so the, the, what they've been asked to do is change a bit. But Slightly listen, different. We're, we're running out of time for this, this hour, Tom, and uh, <laughs> I want to play one last clip, right? And it's from...
1: It's not Pascal Dunne, who is it?
2: I'm sorry, it is. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Right. Oh, we're going to do
4: it. Uh, I did... Uh, look into this issue over the last number of weeks, and when I answered the questions in relation to this matter at the end of November, I was incorrect in my understanding regarding the use of a commercial valve, uh, and I wasn't uh, aware uh, that any payment had been made uh, to these individuals uh, because uh, uh, Were you originally Sinigale, told that, you worked, that there was no payment made? Uh, uh, My understanding was because... How did you come to that understanding? uh, This is the uh, assessment that I've got wrong with regard to this. Because Fine Gael, uh, Dublin Central did not pay these individuals. uh, um, I assume, therefore, there was no expense on possible relation to this. I was wrong in that understanding. Uh, I have been wrong uh, uh, in uh, assuming uh, that because we did not pay them, there was no cost by the point to this campaign. But did and you ask Mr Stone it, at that point that he had paid? I, I became aware of this during December. I asked him in relation to it. And I regret, of course, I had to ask his questions. I hugely regret that this has happened. I hugely regret that uh, over the last uh, number of months, I didn't give this the uh, proper consideration I wasn't clear uh, on uh, the, uh, some of the facts in regard to that campaign seven years ago. Uh, the fact that this campaign took place many years ago um, uh, is not an excuse for what has happened. Uh, when uh, the questions came in and uh, when uh, uh, I became aware of uh, an issue with Simpo, uh, I bought a lot of time into trying to understand what had happened and putting in the submission now. And it is a deep source of regret to me uh, that I'm involved in anything that might affect the perception of the public standing or the integrity of myself my party or the government and for that I apologise.
0: Now Tom you might be wondering what the hell is Pascal (laughs) apologising in relation to there and this is something we're probably going to talk about in the next episode of El Pal
1: and tell me has the new VAT rate Come into play the hospitality VAT rate, or is that coming into to, to that's due to the
0: end of February?
1: No, so basically the the uh, it can still it's still up for debate the new VAT rate
2: in theory. Interestingly, you talk about the new VAT rate for the hospitality industry and and, and tourism industry. Um, There there will be debate around that, but there has been a change in the VAT rate since the 1st of January, which might actually tie in a little bit with with, with some of what we're discussing here today. The VAT rate on newspapers has been reduced to zero. So that's a significant change in, you know, Thomas, you might talk in your industry about three or 4% VAT rate change. That's a nine down to zero. So Irish Independent, Irish Times, Irish Examiner, All these bodies, Sunday Times, Sunday Independent, they're all doing really well now on the basis of a change to a VAT rate. So hmm, think of that what you may in relation to language like factually incorrect assertions and things like that. Uh, no, my my friend Pascal
1: who how do you say, was not happy with the hotel federations and industry because of the fact that they, they went off and rode the system when, mm. when the big hotels time. were back open mm. again. Big time.
0: Uh, it's, well, it's as you can see, Tom, not the only ones riding the system. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and on, that note, yeah, and on that
0: note, we're going to finish part one of El Paul, hey! which has turned into... A d- we've done half of what we wanted to do. The Pascal
1: Donahue show. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: But Pascal might be in trouble with that in relation... Okay. I, Tom... That's all about election posters being taken down. That's what that debate goes down to. (laughs) Until the next uh, episode of El Politico which will be coming up shortly.
2: We still have to deal with them being put up. Exactly. Stand
0: by. We'll talk to you soon.